Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Nice to see you all. Good morning to you. It's great to be with you today. Hello, internet people watching from your comfy place. We're comfy here too. Come on and join us. There's room for you. We're nice people over here. Well, we are, as you know, living in uh, times that are new and challenging for us. And it's really appropriate as we gather together that we say, Lord, teach us to pray. God, God knows what's ahead of us. And he knows that there are things coming that, that we need to be prepared for. And as we pray, the Lord is faithful to teach us. And we're in a series where God is teaching us. And I was just reminded today that, that we should never be complacent about prayer, that we get to pray, that we get to do this. This is something that is such a blessing. We never arrive in prayer. So you can't feel like, yeah, you know, I got a B plus, I'm good. Nope, nope, nope. There's always much more for us. And we're asking in this, in this time together, we're saying, Lord, would you teach us to pray big? You know, God has put within you the capacity to pray big, to have big faith. And the Bible says that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. That's just such a great challenge for us. God, make us those who will pray big. I'm not sure what your week was like. Maybe you felt like you were a bit pressed or stressed. Uh, Duncan mentioned that he had that kind of week that, that was a little challenging for, for him. And uh, maybe you were very acutely aware of your own neediness. I know I was. I had about 18 hours of teaching uh, in front of a computer screen on top of everything else that goes on in a normal week of ministry. So I felt like there was this much to do in this much time. I was very much made aware of, of my own physical and emotional and spiritual neediness. And that's okay. That's good. Because when you come to the point when you say, I can't, prayer says, but God can. And when you say in a situation, I'm not enough, prayer says, but God is enough. I can't, but God can. I'm not enough, but he is. And so it's a wonderful thing that God teaches us to pray. And when we pray, we have fellowship with him. There's power in prayer. We've been learning this, and God accomplishes his work in us when we pray. And I'm ready for that. I'm ready for us to know more of God's power. I'm ready for us as a church to move more and more into an intimate knowledge of God. And I hope you're with me in that. Today is our fifth message in our series, Pray Big, and uh, we want to grow in this knowledge of God, and as we do, as we pray, we're going to be people who are changed, and changed people impact this world. I don't know about you, but, you know, someday we're going to be gone, and I want, by God's grace, to have said, Lord, I impacted your world. I was part of what you did to grow your kingdom. God, use my life and my, my weakness to make an impact in the lives of other people. If we could summarize that in one word, we would say this, Influence. We want to influence other people for Jesus Christ for eternity because someday it's all over and the only thing that's going to last are the souls of men and women and how we lived our lives. God uses us as changed people to be changed agents. By God's grace, we're doing that. And in order to know this God and to make him known, there's no better place to come to than to grasp the priorities and prayer of the Apostle Paul because he loved his children in the faith so much. We're learning to pray like an apostle, and we want to learn how to pray big for ourselves and for each other. And the amazing thing is I've been thinking about this. Just imagine, we're going to come to Ephesians chapter 1 in a minute as we look at this message which is called a big grasp, a big grasp. And and when we do, when we take these words, what we're doing is we're taking words that originated in the plan and the heart and the mind of God. God communicated those, inspired Paul to write this physical letter to a group of people in real space and time, inspired scripture, and then we get to hold them in our hands, and we get to say, 
Lord, I'm going to pray these very prayers that originated with you were delivered to Paul, and now we can lift them back up to you. And I don't know if you can grasp the significance of what we have. We have these very words of God that we get to pray these very prayers, these very priorities to God that he originally gave to his people. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And the reason that's so powerful, look at, on the screen, you'll see 1 John chapter 5. Here's the importance of praying God's word. John writes, this is the confidence we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, what? He, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Are you hearing that? John is writing that we have absolute certain confidence, certainty that we will receive what we've asked for when we ask according to God's will. And sometimes we ask that question, right? How do I know that God's going to answer my prayer? How do I know I'm praying properly? Well, there's no better place than to pray the scriptures. When you pray God's word, what does that do for your prayer life? You are laser beam focused on the things that are on the heart of God. And you can have 100% confidence that God is going to answer those prayers. Can I hear an amen? That was good. There was two amens. We'll work on that. That's great. Our prayer text this morning is found in Paul's first chapter to the Ephesians. If you've been tracking, you'll know that Paul has been praying for different churches. This is the third church that he's been praying for, right? We started with the Colossians, and then we talked about his ministry with the Philippians, and now we're in the third church, Ephesians. So we know that he was a man committed to prayer. He had a big prayer list. It was a growing prayer list, and we're not done yet. We're going to see really soon that there's another church that he was praying for as well. And Paul had a big prayer list. Hey, by the way, how's your, how's your prayer list going? Did you, did you write some things down for Monday? A couple of people you're praying for Monday and some people you're praying for Friday? Hope you're doing that. The people of God and the work of God were always on his heart. He was always praying. He was unceasing. And the joy and the commitment that he had to the Lord and to the people of God moved him to prayer. The text this morning we're going to jump into talks about what Paul was praying for the Ephesians. And if you're a, like, what's this message all about kind of person, and you're writing down, here's the thing, well, here's the thing. You can see it on the screen. What Paul was praying for was this. He prayed that by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, by the work of the Spirit, that they would know God better and have a big grasp on all that was theirs in Christ. By the ministry of the Holy Spirit, they would know God better and have a big grasp of all that was theirs in Christ. Hear now the word of the Lord. We're going to read together. Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verse 15, reading through to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all 
in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning's text is pretty straightforward how it unfolds. If you're taking notes, here's our outline this morning. Two points. The first one is this, why he prays. We talk about why he prays. And the second one is is what he prays. There's four things that he prays for. Why he prays and what he prays for. Here's the first one, why he prays. He says, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you for you remembering you in my prayers. The first words are, for this reason. Well, we would say, well, for, what's he talking about? What's he, why is he praying? What's, what's his motivation? What, what's grabbing him? Well, this phrase, for this reason, actually functions in two ways. It actually looks backwards to what he's just written about in the first 14 verses, and he's looking forward to what he's about to say. So his motivation is twofold. We could put it like this. You see it on the screen. Looking backwards, verses 3 to 14, Paul was just talking, we're going to see this in a minute, about all this innumerable, indescribable spiritual blessing that is ours. He says, for this reason, because of all that God's done, all that God is, all that is yours, I'm praying for you. And that verse, verses three, 3 to 14 is a long section. It's a long section. Actually, in the Greek, it's 200 words. You may want to put it in the side of your Bible, longest sentence in the Greek Bible. 200 words without period stops. It's just like one big, woo, I got to talk about this for a long time. That's what Paul is doing. It's a doxology. It is Paul's praising God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's giving praise to God, and then he just unfolds all that is just revealed in Christ, which is the Father's eternal purposes the Son's redemptive accomplishments, and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity in accomplishing the sealing and the filling of his people, guaranteeing our future inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We could say this, if you've ever been to a symphony, a lot of you have been to a symphony, maybe seen Handel's Messiah, maybe seen something. I take Alex to a symphony in Kitchener every two years, and we pretend we're, we're refined and like classical music, and it's fun. And a symphony is all of these instruments coming together, making beautiful music. Paul is just writing this beautiful symphony of praise to God, talking about everything that God has done in Christ that is ours. This symphony is talking about the election of God, the predestination of God, that we have been adopted, that there's forgiveness, that there's a sealing of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the time this morning to, to jump into those early verses, but... Perhaps you know them. You can go and read them. And what, what happens to Paul when he's thinking about this stuff and he's reflecting on it, his life is bursting with praise. You kind of wonder when he's writing his letters if he's about to say something and then he gets on a tangent and he goes off for 200 words and he goes, oh yeah, as I was saying. And this as I was saying stuff, is, but he was praying, because you see that in verse 3, and just comes back again that he's, he's praying for the people of God because of the praise that is overwhelming Uh, him because of what God has done for him. And Paul is praying for these people out of this praise, and he's praying for them what they need most. I don't know about you, but that gets my attention. What do I need most as a Christian? Maybe you've been a Christian for a year. Maybe you've been a Christian for 25 years. Well, the Apostle Paul is praying for you and for me in these words that we can grab what we need the most. Look at the screen. Here's what happened. Paul grasped this truth about this big doxology about the work of God in Christ. He grasped that. 
And what did it do? It overwhelmed him with praise. He was just sitting in this testimony glory time, giving thanks to God. And out of that praise, what happened? He prayed. He said, I need to pray. I need to pray for this church. I need to pray that this church would get it. They would understand that they would see it. And so he prays for them that they would grasp it as well. And then the cycle goes on and on. We grasp, we praise, and we pray that we would know it more and more and more. And today I want to ask you, brothers and sisters, do you see, do you feel like you've got this good grasp on all that God has done for you in Christ? And does it well up within you like a bubbling fountain of joy? Do you revel in it? And if we were honest, we might say, sort of, maybe, sometimes, a little bit. Well, I think if we were honest, we would say, yeah, I need a better focus, right? I need, I need to see things clearly. And uh, you see the slide here, just sometimes things are not in focus. Sometimes everything is blurry on the outside, and what we need is God to bring us into focus. We need to bring the truths of God, who he is, into focus. You ever have those cameras, the SLR cameras, right? Not the little point-and-click, the Instamatic guys, but the really expensive ones like a Nikon D3200. I'm not really a camera guy, but I know my son has one of those. And what you have to do is you have to turn the lens because things are, are cloudy and they're, they're fuzzy. But when you turn it, things come into focus. And the image is clear. The understanding is crisp. And Paul is saying, church, I want you to know this God. I want you to have this in focus, crisp. I want you to know what he's given to you in Christ. And I want you to know the vast resources that you have in him. All of the treasures in Christ are yours already. I want you to see it. I want you to grasp it. I want you to know it. And because of this, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes. That's the first reason that he prays for. The second reason that he says, for this reason I'm praying, is because of what he, he's about to say in just the next couple of verses. And this is because of the spiritual vitality of the believers. There was something going on in them that just made him so thankful. And he says it in the verse, verse 15, look at it in your Bible. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul was over the moon for these people, and because of these two things, it was their faith, it was their love. And we could say this is a simple summary of what it means to be a Christian. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and lived out. It's a pretty, pretty simple summary. And he saw it in their lives. He said, I see faith in you. I see a saving faith. I see faith that's trusting God, that's walking in relationship. And I'm seeing how that faith is lived out in your relationships. You're, you're connected vertically and you're living it out horizontally. And because of that, I'm praying that you will know everything and that God will do a deeper work in you. And Church South Shore, I'm just thankful for the faith you have. I'm thankful for the ways that I heard before I got here and the, the ways that I see even now that your faith is growing and that your love for the saints is being demonstrated. Praise God for that, and may God do that more and more as he works in us. I saw that in, in the students in Albania as I was face-to-face -face with them for 15 hours this week, hearing their stories, just watching the joy in their face, looking at their hunger. It's not an easy thing to stand in front of a, or sit in front of a computer screen for three hours a day listening to me talk, but they did. They were eager, and they were attentive, and they are loving the Lord, and God is doing a, a great work of transformation in their lives. And because of what the Lord has done for us and so sure in your lives and in our lives, Paul says to the church, I'm unceasing in my prayer for you. I want more and more. 
And Paul was moved by the symphony of blessings, and he was moved by their real love and their real faith. And so this is what he prays for. Here's the second thing. This is what he prays for. He prays for this. There's four of them in the text, by the way. And these are the four things that he's, he wants them to know. He wants them uh, to know God better. He wants them to know God's hope. He wants them to know God's inheritance, and he wants them to know God's power. Here's the first one of those. He prays for them that they would know God better. He says in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. The God that we pray to is the God of our Lord Jesus, and it's through Jesus that we have a relationship with the Father. It is because of Jesus there is a way for sinners to come home to be forgiven. Notice, second, it says that he's the father of glory, and glory is the full revelation of God's attributes. Describing the glory of God is like trying to describe the word beauty. How do you describe beauty? You can describe a car. I can tell you about a car. I can tell you how much it weighs, what it looks like, how fast it goes, how much money it costs to gas it up. But to describe beauty is very differently. And when we talk about the father and his glory, It's the expressed sum total of his attributes. John Piper writes this. He said, The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. And the God that Paul is praying that we would know is this God who is indescribable in the perfections, in the infinite perfections of his glory. And I realize as we talk about God being a father and God being this awesome father of glory, it means he's awesome but he's approachable. He's powerful and he's tender. This is the God that we pray to. And this God, Paul, was praying that they would get to value and treasure and personally, intimately, and experientially know. Alistair Begg, who's a pastor in Cleveland, writes about this passage and he says this, Paul wants for you what you need the most. What you really need, he says, is a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that leads to a greater, deeper knowledge of him. You need to know God. And you go, yeah, people need to know God, but just remember, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who already know God. He's writing to people who already have something going on in their faith and something going on in their love. He's saying, church, you need to know more of this God. I'm praying for you to know more of this God. Paul's first request is that the believers come to know him better. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to come to know God better, something needs to happen. We need these inner eyes, our inner person, the core of who we are, illumined by the Holy Spirit. We need our eyes opened. So Paul prays that the Father would give the Holy Spirit in a fresh and revealing way that we could know him better. I don't know if you've ever had a light bulb moment. Probably all of us have at at times. I was talking to Joel. Actually, we were talking to Joel on the phone not too long ago, Alex, and I were talking to him, and he was talking about some computer science assignment that he was doing, and he was stuck, and he was stumped. And he's actually got, uh, he's actually got a good team of people that he studies with. Uh, one person who he calls a genius who got a, a job with Google this summer. It's pretty genius-like. But they were stumped, and they just they couldn't figure it out. So we put, you know, we hung up the phone, and Alex says, he says, let's pray for him right now. We prayed, Lord, just give them the, the wisdom and the ability to know what to do. Amen. We just prayed a really simple prayer. We checked in with Joel, I think it was the next day, 
And we asked him about his assignment. He said, how did it go? Did you, did you figure it out? He goes, yeah, yeah, we got it. We got it. And uh, we kind of like high fives, like, hey, Lord, thank you, because God was the one that en- just enabled them. They, he kind of turned the switch on for them to figure out what was, what was the stuck part for them. And that's just a small example that, you know, we have these moments when the light bulb goes on. In that case, God gets the glory because we saw it as a direct answer to prayer. But Paul was praying for these people to have the, the big light bulb shining deep within their heart that they would get it, that they would know. And we need Holy Spirit-empowered wisdom and revelation. And we're not gonna see the glory of God. We're not gonna know God better unless the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. So we pray to that end. And over the last number of weeks, we've been closing the service in a prayer, a chance to reflect. But today I'm gonna do something different. As we look at these next four points, I'm gonna actually ask that we could pray together at the end of each point and just ask the Lord to press this deep into our hearts. So what I'm going to invite you to do right now, let's stand together and we're going to pray that the reality of God's worth and his glory and his beauty and his greatness would be just revealed to us in our deepest parts. So let's join together. We're going to pray out loud, asking God to make this true of us right now. Join me. Father, give your revealing spirit to us. Flood us with light that we would know you better and all of your worth, greatness, and glory. Reveal to us the great wealth we have in Christ. Holy Spirit, bring light to our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see and know you. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Then Paul talks next about the three foundational truths that he wants us to know. Here's the next one. He prays that they'd have open eyes to, to know God's hope and to see it, to know God's hope. Look at verse 18. He writes, he's praying that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now, you probably agree with me that there's a hope vacuum in our world. Many people struggle with hopelessness. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't a believer in Christ in the day in which we live, in the problems and the trials of life and relationships and society and culture and the the ecology all around us. Our world is deeply troubled. So where do people turn to hope? for hope. Sometimes they put their hope in a vaccine. Some people might put their hope in winning the lottery. Some people might put their hope in finally we get a new leader elected. All of these things. Well, ultimately we know that's not where hope is found. But we're not like that. We know Jesus Christ. But believer, oh, what hope we have. He is the solid rock, unchanging, unshakable. And the Bible says that we have been born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that our hope is unshakable. We have the hope, we know it. Romans 5.2, Paul writes, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In other words, we have a relationship by faith in the grace of God. and We're in relationship with God and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice because we know what our future is. We rejoice because we know what's coming. We rejoice because our eternity is absolutely rock-solid certain. And Paul prays for the eyes of the hearts of our hearts to see this glorious hope. What has God done? Well, long ago in the past, in the plan and the wisdom of God, he called you to himself, to know him, to walk with him. He called you out of darkness into his light. He called you into his kingdom and his glory. That is true of you, 100% certain, sure. That's the hope that you have right now. That's the hope of your calling. Your hope is certain. 
you're gonna be with God forever and experience you and me, if you know Jesus Christ today, his indescribable glory and his beauty and his greatness. Now I need to say that when the Bible speaks of hope, it's not in the same way that we speak of hope. When we use the word hope, we say something like, I hope I get my snow tires on before it snows. And if it was gonna snow tomorrow at six in the morning, my hope would be shattered because I don't have an appointment and my tires are still high up in the loft. (laughs) I gotta get them down. When we use the word hope, what we're saying is, I hope so. It's like, well, maybe, it's a wish. That's not the way the Bible uses the word hope. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's 100% confident, 100% certain that what God has said is gonna come to pass. It's true of him in his faithfulness and his promises. It'll be true in our lives. This is the kind of hope that we have who know Jesus, and we shouldn't take that for granted. We stand in this hope. Here's the way we can say this. Without Christ, it's a bleak situation. No God, no hope. That's the way we used to live. That's the way we used to live. And if you know some people who don't know Jesus in your workplace, maybe your family, they can have lots of stuff going on in their lives, but if there's no God, there's no hope. But when we come to know Christ, when we know God, what do we know? We know hope. When we know God, we know hope. I remember asking my grandmother late in her life, she was in her late 70s, I was in my early 20s. I can still picture where I was in her living room. Apartment 212, 20 Chesterton Drive, Nepean, Ontario. That was a detail you didn't really need to hear. <laughs> I looked over at her sitting in her chair and I said, Grandma, I said, do you know where you're gonna go when you die? And let me just say that this is the most important issue that any of us will ever deal with. I remember her answer, she said, I hope so. Well, I didn't really like that answer because I didn't think that was a very good answer. And many people hope they're gonna go to heaven when they die, but they're not really sure. Maybe they think I've been good enough. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you think that you're going to heaven because you're good enough. Well, I did check the stats yesterday. I went on the internet. And apparently, 100% of all Canadians are going to die at some point in their life. And then we're going to stand before God. All of us are going to live forever. The question is not if we're going to live forever, but where are we going to live forever? If you know Christ, you're going to live forever in his presence eternally. If you don't know Christ, have not received Jesus Christ as his son, we're going to be living apart from Christ and God's glory in hell. So we can't leave this to, I hope so. We can't leave this to, maybe, or I'm good enough. I think I'm good enough. Maybe, I hope so. We can't do that. We need a sure and certain hope in Jesus Christ to move from, I wish this is true, to I absolutely know this is true. And God says to us in Christ today that you can know. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, this is your rock-solid hope and the certainty of your calling because it is based upon truth. As the Holy Spirit opens the eyes of our heart, we're gonna know fuller the meaning of this hope. If there's anyone here today that doesn't have that certainty, that doesn't have that hope, I would love to talk to you after the service, talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. And brothers and sisters in this room today, I'm gonna ask you again to stand with me as we pray that the Lord would open the eyes of our heart and show us what is this hope that is ours. Let's pray this together. Thank you for the living hope we have in Jesus. This hope of present grace 
and future glory. Make this hope real to us and to those around me through us. By your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the certainty of this hope to which you've called us. Let calm and confidence flood our lives because we know you and have this hope. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Here's the fourth thing. Paul prays that they would know God's inheritance. That's some of what we think about, right? We think about inheritance. Do I have any? Do I not have any? Will it be a little bit? Will it be a lot? Well, there's no need to be buying a lottery ticket and waiting for the mega jackpot. You don't have to worry about your future. You don't have to worry about making the big bucks because the mega jackpot is already yours in Christ. God has already provided it for you. Your lottery has already come to pass in Jesus Christ. He has already given you everything you need and it's waiting for you in God's perfect kingdom. And the treasures of heaven are nothing like the treasures of earth. We, we go after that big truck or we go after the bigger house or that salary, whatever. But the things of this earth, they fade away. That 10-year-old car that you have, maybe it's not as good as it used to be. Maybe it's a little more rusty. Maybe it's a little more creaky. And nothing in this world is gonna survive. The things of earth grow fading and rusting and perishing really fast. The things of heaven aren't like that. And Paul is saying that someday you're gonna be living in the glory of this inheritance that I can't even describe to you. The blessings are already ours. But that inheritance that's true of us, which we see earlier in the chapter in verse 11, that's not the kind of inheritance Paul is talking about here. It's not all that we're gonna get someday. The inheritance is different. Look at verse 18. So if he's not saying that's the kind of inheritance we're getting, what is the kind of inheritance that's waiting? Listen to this. He's praying that they would know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So who's the his? What his are we talking about here? Whose inheritance is it? The inheritance that Paul is praying for them to understand is that it's not our inheritance in this case as it was earlier in the other verse. This is God's inheritance. What he's saying to us is this, get a load of this. The inheritance that we need to know about is that we are God's inheritance. We're his treasure. The church is God's inheritance. Jesus purchased us, why? For God, for eternity. And Paul is saying, I'm praying for you that you're gonna see with your hearts illuminated that you are God's much-loved, much-sought, much-valued treasure, his inheritance. This is the value that God places on us because we are his treasure. How about you? But this leaves me in awe. It's like, God, you have everything, all this power, and we are what you want? Along with the psalmist, we say, who am I and what are we? What is man? Who are we that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Brothers and sisters, we are trophies of God's grace. We in our lives display the goodness and the wisdom and the grace of God and we will be forever this example showing the goodness and the mercy of God. If you're old this morning, you probably think to yourself, am I old? I'm not sure if I'm old. I'm older than I used to be. All right, if you were alive in the 80s, you're old, all right? I'm going to say you're old. And if you're 20 years old in the 80s, then you're older. 
There was a guy named Steve Green. Does anybody remember Steve Green? Put your hands up if you remember Steve Green. We had these little kids' albums that Steve Green used to, to sing, but he was, a, he was a singer before then, before he did kids' records. And I was thinking as I was writing the message this week of a song that we used to sing called He Who Began a Good Work in You. And listen to these lines. You can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you. Safe and secure, he will never abandon you. Listen to this line. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. Of all the things that God finds beautiful and glorious, Paul's writing, you are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. Believer today, you are his much-loved child, his much-valued, much-waited-for child. And guess what? God is waiting to spend eternity with you. He's gonna spend this holy, eternal God all of the time with a multitude of redeemed, forgiven sinners showing you his great glory and displaying you as a trophy of his grace. You say, did we see this anywhere else in the Bible? Absolutely, we do. Look at John chapter 17. Jesus is praying on the night before he died. This was his prayer, his high priestly prayer. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus has been anticipating our home going for over 2,000 years. God is waiting to gather his bride to himself. Amazing this inheritance that we have in Christ and the amazing thing that we are God's inheritance. And I'm gonna pray, we're gonna pray right now that God would make this real for us, that we would understand this. Let's stand together. Let's pray these words. Infinitely generous Father, we are amazed and eternally grateful for the inheritance you have showered upon us. You've given the supernatural gift, your son, Jesus Christ. You are ours and we are yours. What are we that you have called us your treasures? Help us to live to the praise of your glory, anticipating that day when you will realize your inheritance in the saints. Amen. And we're gonna be there. Please take a seat. Here's the fourth and final thing that he's praying that the church will grasp. He's praying that they will know his power. Ephesus was the capital of the Roman province of Asia, was an important center for the worship of Diana, who we also know as Artemis. Uh, The city was a hotbed of magic and sorcery and occult practices. And many of the believers that uh, lived in that city were involved in all of this stuff beforehand. We know that because in Acts chapter 19, it says they burned all their, their books and all the stuff that they used to do with all their occult practices and it amounted to thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. It was a big, big deal. Before they were saved, they were involved in this dark occult stuff. And Paul is writing them to say, you know what? Everything that you knew of power and spiritual power, you don't know anything. Because the power of God is far greater. Listen to what he prayed for, verse 19. He prays that they will know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe. He said, you, you gave up that stuff. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. 
You have the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. Paul is praying that we will comprehend the power of God, this incomparably great power, and that we're going to experience it, its immeasurable greatness, that we're going to live by his power in us. And just think about this for a second. What he's about to say is is mind-blowing. He's saying the power of God is at work in us right now. So when you think about power, when you think about the power of God, the display of God's working in all that God does, one of the first things that I think of is creation. God spoke, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he spoke, and one of the things that he created was this thing, the sun. That's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit at surface. That's almost a million miles in diameter. That is just one of the stars in our galaxy. One of, get a load of this, 100,000 million stars. I'll say that again. That's a big number. There's a lot of zeros. If you're a math person, there's a lot of exponents. There's a lot of, a lot of zeros to this. The sun is one of 100,000 million stars just in our little galaxy. The power of God breathing out this fiery ball of heat for us leaves us breathless in wonder. This is our God. This is the power of our God to breathe it out. But when Paul is talking about the power of God, he he didn't say, hey, I want you to know the power, just like when God made the earth, or just like when God breathed out that sun that is overhead, or just like when God breathed out all the stars that you can see. He didn't point to that. That would would have been a pretty good thing to point to. We would have go, that's a big God. That's an awesome God. That's a powerful God. He's saying, I want to show you something greater than that. And what he does is he uses four terms. It's like he's pancaking. He's stacking these words on top of each other because he says, I just want you to know what's going on inside of you right now. He uses the words for the power of God. He says, and he's using the strongest terms that, that language has, and I think he runs out of words. He's kind of come to the end of his superlatives. He's saying the the power of God is this. It's his power, it's his working, it's his strength, it's his might. And if we know that the switch or the meter had a a meter that went to 10 to talk about power, and we go, well, that's pretty powerful. Like the atomic bomb, that's that's a 10. That's that's the full full monty of of power in in the world in which we live. Paul's saying, you know what? You need a new gauge. You need need to build a new gauge. You need to create a, a gauge that goes to a million. You need to get a gauge that goes to a million because this is the power of God. Probably a million isn't even enough. You need a bigger gauge than that. Ephesians chapter 3, 20, 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Say this with me. According to what? To the, say it out loud, the power at work within us. To him be glory. We just need to stop there for a second. All right? We talked about the sun, the big sun. It's far away, but it's real big. It's really warm. It's just one of the many millions and millions and millions of stars in our galaxy. And he's saying the power of God that did that is at work in you and me. But that's not the best part. The best part of it is he, he wants us to understand something that happened in space and time. He said, let me tell you about, let me tell you about this, this power Let me tell you about this power for living. Let me tell you about this power for Monday morning. Let me tell you about this power for this troubled marriage you're in. Let me tell you about this difficult situation with your kids. Let me tell you about this health concern that is chronic and as far as we can tell isn't going to leave you. Let me tell you about this power. You can lay hold of this power through prayer by faith. And Paul will say in Ephesians 6.10, finally, 
South Shore, today, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. It's as if that scripture is in his mind when he was writing this one. Be strong in the Lord. There's, you, you have the strength, the strength of his might. In that sentence, he's using three words for, for power. He said, I just want you to know that there's something that God gives you that's going to give you the ability to, to live it out. And he said, I, I want to describe this power to you. I want to describe where this is from and what happened and why it's living in you. And he could have used the exodus. He could have used some military victory like the walls of Jericho falling down. He says, you know, let me tell you. Let me tell you about this power. He says, it's the power of Christ. The power of God at work in the life of a believer is seen in the one great act of God that Paul is going to talk about in three different parts. It's the power of the God who raised Jesus from the dead. But Paul is saying this, if you want to see power, it's resurrection power. It's what God did when he raised his son from the dead. Now we may not understand how that compares to this sun thing that's burning, but he's saying, I'm going to show you power, and it's not the sun, and it's not all the planets, it's not Jericho, and it's not getting out of Egypt, it's the resurrection. I guess what we could say is, God wants to open our eyes to see the power of the resurrection and what that accomplished in the cosmos, in our lives for all of eternity, the plan and the wisdom, the mystery of God. He's saying, if you want to know power, know the resurrection. This is the power that overcomes sin and death and gives us new life. We know that the Bible says that the Christian belief, the heart of it is the resurrection of Jesus. If there's no resurrection, there's no gospel, there's no New Testament, and we're not here. If we're here, we're, we're talking about like quilting or something or, uh, you know, bird, bird stuff. We're, we're some kind of a club, a social club. We're not talking about anything life-changing. The power of the resurrection is, is what changes everything. It was the undoing of death. Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. And then he goes on in this next section to say, it's not only that God raised him from the dead, but he exalted him to his right hand. It was the power of the exaltation of Christ, Jesus returning to glory, ascending as the King of kings. That act of ascension showed that his sacrifice was complete, that redemption was accomplished, that God was satisfied. Jesus is now far above all kings and rulers. God highly exalted him. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And the third act of God's power being displayed is that now Jesus has dominion. He is dominion ruling. His power is displayed as supreme ruler. He has executive control. Everything, everything today is subject to him. Jesus is enthroned over all evil. He is the one who has all authority. He's in control over everything. Every twig that snaps happens at the will and the command of God. He is in charge of every power over every ruler, every virus, every tyrant, every superpower. Nothing can usurp the power of Jesus Christ. It is all in his grasp. I was listening to a song yesterday. I was out for a little run, and a song came on my playlist, and it said this, Our God is unrivaled. His word is still final. Hear that. Our God is unrivaled. His word is still final. There's nothing that challenges our God. There's no power. Nothing. Nothing that escapes his notice. I want to tell you, so short today, you have a living hope. God called you, and he's faithfully at work in your life, working for his glory and your good. And I want to tell you that you have an inheritance in God. It's sure. It's sure it's coming. 
and you are also his inheritance. I want to tell you that you have the resurrection power of God right now living in you, and it's available to us as we pray. You've been given everything. You have, listen, unmatched power at work in your life through the Holy Spirit as you pray. I want to close with this illustration. Imagine that you're on a cruise ship, and uh, it would be nice to be on a cruise ship right now in some warm place. You have a drink of water in your hand and maybe a pack of soda crackers in your other hand, and that's all you've been doing all week. You've been drinking water and eating soda crackers, and you're you're pretty hungry because crackers aren't that satisfying. And you don't realize that when you bought the ticket for the cruise, that all of the food, all of the time, in all of the restaurants were yours. It came with the ticket. You have access to all of the resources that were there, but you missed it because you didn't tap in, maybe you didn't know, maybe you didn't realize. And Paul is praying that we will understand, that we will tap in, that we will appropriate, that we will have a big grasp of God's big, immeasurable blessings that will make an awesome difference in your life. And when you lay hold of and comprehend and understand what we've been talking about today, when this doctrine comes alive in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the power of God in you, getting to know this God who lives inside of you. Your life is gonna be pleasing to God. You're gonna be a praising person, you're gonna be a praying person, you're gonna be a person of impact. Alistair Begg says this helpfully, he says, Christ's position and his presence and his power are the antidote to our fears. Are you afraid today of something? Is there an uncertainty? Is there an anxiety that's distracting you, that's weighing you down? Christ's position at the right hand of God, his presence in your life and his power right now, right now for you. That's the antidote to all of our fears. But we need God to do this for us. We need God to take by his Holy Spirit a big flashlight, a big million lumen flashlight and shine it brightly in our hearts and open our eyes to see and give us understanding and that's why Paul was praying for them. That's the prayer we pray today. Lord, do this in us. God, show us these blessings. Church, I want us to be connected to this power. I want us to have these eyes to see. I want this doctrine, this truth to come alive in our lives, that we would know him, that we would know the hope he's called us to, that we would know the treasure that we are to him and the power that we have in him right now and for the future. Let's pray and ask the Lord to make that true of us. Stand with me. I'm gonna ask you to take a moment before we pray the words that you see on the screen. And before you pray the words that that I wrote out, I'm gonna ask you to pray the prayer that's on your heart. What is the Lord doing in you this morning? What's he saying to you? Take a moment and just lift that prayer to the Lord and then we'll pray together. Think of that hymn, there's power, power, wonder, working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your power. Lord, I wanna pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters and those who are watching online today. 
Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. See you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. I pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, 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 we want to see you. Let's pray these words. Father of glory, thank you. There's an occupied throne of grace. There's help and mercy for the needy and power for the weak. Father, stir and awaken our hearts. Open our eyes. Help us to know you, to see all you are and all we have through Christ. Help us to grasp the hope you have for us, the inheritance we are, and the immeasurably, sorry, the immeasurable power of the risen and reigning king. It is this power that keeps us growing and obeying and witnessing and living courageously. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.